In a world where fans have grown tired of the same old cookie-cutter Comic-Con formats, only one con defies the odds. Only one Comic-Con stands what fans really want. Only one Comic-Con dares calls itself terrific. That's right, this August 17th through the 19th at the all-new giant-sized Mohegan Sun Expo Center in Uncasville, Connecticut, comes Terrific Con. Connecticut's Terrific Comic Con is back with New England's largest gathering of comic book artists and writers. Plus, Terrific Con delivers actors from your favorite TV shows and movies. And there's an all-new expanded gaming section as we give you tabletop gaming, video games, and so much more. Plus, don't forget, all kids 10 and under get in free at Terrific Con and can be part of the all-new All Yeah Kids Comic Con. Join us for three full days of Comic Con action only in Connecticut at Terrific Con. For more information, go to our website, www.terrificcon.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's another new word balloon. John Suntress here. Very excited about today's show. Bryn Semino is going to join us late in the show. She is a young artist and got her first big break uh, doing a portrait of Roy Thomas in his Alter Ego magazine. We talk about that and her ambitions as far as being an illustrator. That's going to be a lot of fun. But first up, it's great to welcome back Paul Kupperberg. The fantastic writer and editor who did a lot of work at DC, was also at Archie Comics for the death of Archie, and uh, not only has he got uh, some new projects that we'll be talking about, like a brand new mystery novel that's set in the early 50s, a comic book-centered mystery, but also uh, his website, paulcupperberg.com, is fantastic and literally is this treasure trove of past works that he's done, script samples, comic strip samples. Also, he did a lot of great editing for DC over the years. And uh, not only the American product, but also the British product. And there's some great, short, but very effective uh, superhero stories that he did for uh, British annuals. Uh, the uh, albums, as they called them, as far as uh, the British market goes. And, man, I'm telling you, I discovered Grant Morrison, Alan Moore, and Peter Milligan's Superman stories that were done in the 80s. Little four-page stories with great illustrations on them as well. But uh, they're great. They're fantastic. And, again, things I've never read before. And uh, totally worth exploring, paulcupperberg.com. That's where you'll find all this really neat stuff. Plus, he's just a funny guy. So it was a great opportunity to uh, talk to Paul. Paul's going to be at Terrificon. And is, uh, I'm looking forward to having him on the Superman panel, along with uh, some other legendary uh, Superman writers like Roger Stern and modern writers like Pete Tomasi. Uh, it's going to be great, and I'm really, really excited about having that opportunity to talk more about Superman with Paul. But we get some Superman conversation in there as well. He did the World of Krypton miniseries, uh, which was the first DC miniseries. I had no idea, but he talks about that. And uh, lots of great impressions. Also, Paul did a lot of his formative years at Charlton Comics and uh, along with collaborating with Steve Ditko on a little horror short uh, he we really get into uh, the inside story of Charlton uh, a fascinating comic book publisher out of Derby, Connecticut they're making a documentary and uh, Paul shares uh, some of the documentary stories with us but uh, really as I've been saying with our conversations with Roy Thomas and Denny O'Neill Paul is going to be another great example of uh, I think things that we're all going to learn about the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics uh, because this is one of the foot soldiers that was there experiencing it all. So really great to welcome Paul Kupperberg and Bryn Semino to today's Word Balloon. 
It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, League, for your great support. Truly appreciate it. Um, man, I got some new people that have come on in the last couple days, and I thank you for joining the League. And I thank uh, the ongoing League members as well. Uh, good news. Word Balloon is expanding the brand, and I've got some great video content coming up as well. And I'm doing everything I can to hit as many platforms. And, uh, you know, beyond what we're getting here in the long-form conversations that I have with the creators, uh, provide some video as well. Uh, my opinions might come out a little bit more on some of these videos. But also, uh, hopefully, I'll attract more people to the big show with uh, highlights of some of these great conversations and package them on YouTube and the various video platforms. So uh, that's something to be aware of in the days and months ahead. Um, I've got more uh, free time and I want to devote it to Word Balloon and expand uh, the show, give you more content. And the ways I, one of the ways I'm able to do that is through our sponsors, our great sponsors, and among those sponsors are the great group of the League of Word Balloon listeners. If you enjoy what you hear on Word Balloon, as I always say, the best way to help Word Balloon out is letting a friend know. But if you think it's you know worth your time and is uh, the content that I provide each month worth the price of a comic book? Is it worth even a dollar a month? If you could spare that and would be interested in subscribing to Word Balloon, it's a big help, and it's greatly appreciated. You can go to wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad there, or you can go directly to patreon.com slash wordballoon and uh, check it out. I, I really appreciate the support. It, it, it really is a massive help to me as I uh, try to build the brand here at wordballoon.com. So thank you from the bottom of my heart, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Let's start things off and tell you about some of the great product that has Paul Kupperberg's name on it from uh, InStockTrades.com that are available for you now at great prices. You can get the Daring Adventures of Supergirl. It's Paul and Carmine Infantino on the art, Dick Giordano doing the inking. Uh, this is the 1980s uh, stories, the Daring New Adventures of Supergirl, including... Um, Number 13, and then uh, 14 through 23. So pretty neat stuff. Wow, Black Star is in there. Neo-Nazis are in there. How about that for some timely stuff? Also, the depths of Lake Michigan, the, the lake right by where I live. But uh, really neat uh, Paul Kupperberg Supergirl stories. 42% off, $17.39. You can also get Archie, The Married Life, Trade Paperback Volume 6. Paul had a great run on Archie. Fernando Ruiz, uh, one of his artists, also the great Norm Brayfogle as well. This is Volume 6, and uh, this is the finale, which features the death of Archie, the wrap-up to The Married Life. But as I say in the interview, um, I think a lot of the experimentation we've been seeing with Archie really started with uh, The Married Life. Michael Uslan did the initial story, but then Paul took over. Uh, you know, the courtship, I guess, of Betty and Veronica with Archie in the dual-track stories that they were doing. But then also... Uh, Paul continued it with them married. And man, I'm telling you, throw Archie in the soap opera of a Riverdale life and so many really interesting little nuggets of Reggie working at the newspaper and Moose ran for mayor. Jughead in one track, uh, is with Ethel and with another track, Midge is sick of Moose and gets with Jughead. Way to go, Jughead. So not only Archie having uh, two options in his future, but way to go, Jughead. Nice going. And and to the women as well. Really smart, sensitive stuff happened during Archie the Married Life. And this Volume 6 is a great example of it. 50% off, just $9.99. More, more great Archie collections from Paul. You can get celebrated, that trade paperback. 50% off, $7.49. There's also uh, Volume 2 
of the married life, which I believe is the beginning of Paul's run. It's issues 7 through 12. And again, Norm Brayfogle doing the art chores on that. Pretty neat stuff. It's uh, 30% off, $13.99. And you could even get, um, they might still have these uh, damaged copies of Volume 4 that are at 40% off, $11.99. There's also Superman the Man of Steel, Volume 8, featuring great 1980s adventures with Paul, uh, appearances by Wonder Woman, Man Bat, and others. It collects Action uh, 598 through 600, Superman 16 through 18, and Adventures of Superman 439 and 440. It's 42% off, just $9.85. All from Paul Kupperberg, all at InStockTrades.com. Don't take my word for it. Check it out. Great books at great prices. If you get orders of $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping from our good friends at InStockTrades.com. As you heard earlier, Word Balloon is also brought to you by Terrificon. We're just days away from Terrificon. I can't believe it. It's the weekend of August 17th at Mohegan Sun. Very excited about being there. Go to Terrificon.com to uh, find out more information. But, man, I am telling you, from the animation voiceover people to the movie and television celebrities that are going to be there to the new and uh, classic comic book creators that are all convening at Mohegan Sun for Terrificon. I am very excited to be part of it. I will be doing eight panels uh, featuring a lot of the people you've been hearing lately on Word Balloon. Uh, more guests uh, will come both uh, from their panels at Terrificon after the convention. I will have the recorded panels here on Word Balloon that I do, but also really looking forward to uh, spending time with some of these uh, wonderful men and women and uh, getting them to come on Word Balloon for the first time and to come back in the case of uh, today's first guest, Paul Kupperberg. Very excited to have Paul back. Again, uh, really enjoyed my first conversation with him. I, as I say at the very beginning, I can't believe it's been years since that conversation, but it's great to catch up with him. And I can't stress it enough, paulkupperberg.com. Go to his website. You are going to be very, very entertained by the stuff he puts up there every week. So without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Paul Kupperberg to start things off on today's Word Balloon. Welcome back, Paul Kupperberg, to Word Balloon. Man, I, I'm sorry it's been so long because we, man, I had a great time talking to you last time, and Terrificon is a great excuse to have you back, so welcome back. Thank you. I just figured you never write, you never call, but that's okay. <laughs> I know I saw you at a New York con, and man, I guess it's been years. Um, and I know it was in conjunction with Jonah Hex. I forget which artist. It was when Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray were doing Jonah Hex. Oh, yeah. They, I was sitting next to um, to Justin at, um, I think it was the, Jer the, the, the convention in Jersey. There you go. Probably. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well. And I and we talked a lot about your life with Archie Run the last time we spoke, and I want to give it up to you again and say what a what a great run it was. And I really believe that um, that was the beginning of the experimentation with Archie that we're seeing even now. Oh, absolutely! No, they they've so much has said that to me. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it did start. It was you know it, it made them see that they could. Uh, you know, they could get out, step outside the boundaries of the, uh, you know, of the, of the funny six pager and, and get some depth to the character. Absolutely. And you provided it, man. And I'm, uh, I'm psyched with what they're doing, uh, coming up in the fall. They're going to do Archie 1941. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. There, um, there you uh, go. Yeah. 
uh, that's by uh, Mark Wade and Brian Augustine, or Brian Augustine and Mark Wade. That's exactly right. Yeah, I just, Which, whichever it is, I'm I'm a fan of both of them. Me too, man. And I yeah, I just talked to Mark about it, so I'm gonna have to get Brian on to talk about it a bit as well. Am I right? Was your life with Archie stuff? Um, did you work with Norm Brayfogle on a lot of that? Yeah, at the at the beginning, uh, Norm was the artist on both the strips. Yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm really sorry that you know he had uh, the stroke and it's kind of. You know, sidelined yeah. him for a while. I don't even know. Do you do you know the current status of of how Norm's doing? I really don't. Um, he, uh, I, uh, I, I don't think I've seen much on him online. You know, in social yeah. networks or anything. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was a shame. But um, you know, fortunately, there was a uh, a, a reservoir of, of talent to, to choose from, and uh, you know, Fernando Ruiz, not not a bad uh, sub, uh, substitute. Agreed. And, um, and we had Patton and uh, Tim Kennedy, who are just knockout artists. I mean, you know, their their life with Archie stuff was beautiful, but I've worked with them since at the uh, Charlton Neo Comics, uh, the independent comics that uh, I put out with uh, with some other people, and they've done a lot of my uh, scripts. And you know, they've done everything from funny animals to uh, you know uh, steampunk, uh, and uh, every single thing thing they've drawn for me has been in a different style. Interesting. Now, yeah. Tell, tell me about the – no, go on and finish your thought. Yeah, please. No, I'm just saying they're amazing. That was my thought. All right. Very cool. Well, tell me about Charlton Neo. Are you are you getting a chance to uh, do some of the Charlton characters that DC didn't uh, pick up? What's going on with that? Yeah, well, there there is the opportunity to do that. Uh, but, you know, the, the few decent characters that uh, DC didn't uh, get their hands on other people have been doing, um, but that's fine. I'm, I'm, you know, just as happy to create new things for that than, than do somebody else's character again. You know, I, I spent my whole career writing other people's characters. Now it's, it's nice to, uh, to do my own stuff, but, um, uh, we've been doing, we've been doing this about four years now. At first we were uh, mail order only, um, you know, uh, print on demand and still available at uh, mortod.com or uh, through uh, Amazon. But um, last year we, uh, we were able to get three, uh, three issues of the Charlton Arrow into comic shops. And um, we did break the, um, the uh, uh, Diamond 500. Oh, good. Top? Yeah. Explain exactly. that to people, what the Diamond 500 is. Well, it's the top selling, the top ordered 500 uh, titles of the month. Um, and you know, it doesn't sound like much, you know, 500 titles, but there's probably double that amount being published these days. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a crowded shelf out there these days. It is. Now compare it to, you know, and forgive me cause you, you know, you're, you're 10 years older than I am, but you know, as I, I always appreciate talking to you guys in terms of the, the perspective of what the market was like, you know, in, in previous decades and stuff. So yeah, I mean, how much more crowded is the shelf today than, the 70s and the 80s well sonny let me tell you <laughs> um, just to go back even further uh when i was on staff at dc as an editor in the um, in the 90s and early 2000s um uh, i you know i i was on staff and and uh uh julie schwartz uh, who, uh an editor from the uh from the 1940s to the 1980s sure. and if you don't know that why you listen to a podcast about comic books. Um, and um, uh, 
Julie was. Um, wow, I just lost my train of thought, and that's, uh, that's, well, the, that's yeah, the market size. Uh, oh, the, yeah, right. Go on. And when Julie retired, he was cleaning out his office, and he was dumping a lot of stuff in in the trash. Um, and I would come in to see him, you know, to to visit and chat with him. And I would just sit there going, no, no, Julie, don't, no, no, you don't throw that away. Let me, I'll bring it to the library for you, you know, whatever. So there was a ton of stuff that um, I, I saved, I saved. And uh, one of them was a big ledger book. It was about, I don't know, must have been about 17 by, you know, 17 by 13. Um, you know, big blue, like, like the old style um, um, uh, loose leaf notebooks, you know, that mm-hmm. coarse blue uh, cover. And, uh, you know, big clamps to hold it, you know, screwing clamps to hold the pages together. And it was probably about two and a half, three inches thick. And into inside were pages on which were pasted little photocopies, well, photographs, not photocopies, but photographs of the covers of that month. Each page was a different month of DC Comics from the 1950s. And under the cover was all the sales information. Wow. Yeah, so this was, you know, for for a couple, several years in the 1950s um, worth of books. And that I didn't turn over to the library right away. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I did give it, I did turn it in before I left staff. Okay. Uh, I did not walk out of the building with it, although I was tempted. But um, unfortunately, I have, I, I have too great a sense of history uh, of the place to, um, <laughs> to have done that. I hear you. Curse my integrity. <laughs> Um, anyway, the titles, you know, it was, it was everything from the Fox and Crow to Superman to Mystery in Space and Strange Adventures, The Unexpected, um, you know, Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, yeah. whatever. And the lowest selling books in those days, it, it was all of the information from the print run to the estimates to the final numbers, you know, the, and even the lowest selling book was selling about 230,000 copies. Jeez. Yeah. And that, pers- that went on into the 1960s when, you know, so by the time I got into fandom in the late um, uh, 1960s and became aware of things like sales figures, you know, they used to publish every month. Uh, it was a postal regulation since uh, 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 that they would publish every year a statement of ownership mm-hmm. in the, so in the statement of ownerships would, give rough numbers of sales of, of the book. So you could kind of keep track of, I'm sure the information, someone has compiled it and it's online somewhere. Um, and you'll see the numbers even into the late 1960s and, and early 70s were still, things were still hovering around a quarter of a million, uh, you know. Uh, and then when I got on staff in, ni- in the early 90s, um, books when I first started in about 91 I think books were in danger of cancellation if they fell under 60,000 wow now that's what a bestseller that's a hot book absolutely man that's a top 10 book I think really when the the actual final sales numbers come through versus what the comic book store buys and if it gets to the you know before it gets to the the, yeah. the readers themselves, yeah, wow. And I'd have you know, I'd have somebody come to me and go, you know, Doc Stars is at about sixty four thousand. You're in trouble. You better watch out. Um, <laughs> Dark Stars, so, <laughs> great. And then back in the in the early two thousands, early you know, early two two thousand five two thousand six, mm-hmm. um, a friend who did a, a an indie 
comic for Dark Horse and a, a fairly high-profile creator, um, called me in stunned horror to learn that the first issue of his new series sold about 9,000 copies. But the publisher thought that was great. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But it was, you know. Say it again. I, Say it again, because I, I stepped on you there. Say it again. Oh, it's oh, just uh, that, you know, yeah, you said 9,000 9, and the publishers said it was great and then take it from there. Oh, and um, uh, and it and it was from their perspective, you know, in this market with that type of book, with that, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 9,000 at that time was a, a good number. And then flash forward to last year where I hear where we were um, our numbers on that chart. Neo uh, three issues that we um uh, had in the comic shop were um, were respectable and actually did okay for us, you know. But they were horrifyingly low. Understood. <laughs> yeah. And but on the other hand, um, we we only lost about thirty percent on the second issue, and you know less than fifty percent by the third issue. So we held on to to more readership than uh, than a lot of books do. Would the would the three issues be collected? Have they been collected in a trade? Not yet. I we're 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 talking about we're working on different things. We're we're you know getting out in the next year or so. Uh, we got a bunch of things uh, in the works, and uh, one of them is is yet another three issue uh, miniseries, the Charlton Neo Universe, uh, that we will uh, get distributed through shops as well, um, and. Um, so we got that, and um, I did a um, a two issue thing called uh, Paul Kupperberg's Secret Romances, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of a modern a modernish take on romance comics. You know, the the catchphrase of the uh, of the book was um, "Happily ever after isn't what it used to be." <laughs> um, and uh, so we're planning a, a collection of those, which will include a new story and um, um, and a brand new cover by. Uh, by an old friend and collaborator who was uh, gracious enough to agree to do it. Keeping that under wraps until you're ready to put it out there? So ready to put it out there. Understood. And uh, we're also going to be publishing a, a How to Write Comics book that I wrote. So That's fantastic. And I, and I want to uh, talk a lot about your website because you do give uh, script samples uh, not only for comics but also comic strips that you've done in the past. And uh, I think I think that's incredibly helpful. Um, before we leave uh, your your current work with uh, the Charlton Neo line, um, how, would you guys uh, do it? Are you doing it digitally at all, or is it purely a, a, a print oh, no, product? It's all, no, it's all digital. Sorry, yeah, Comicsology and, and the like. Uh, we uh, um, uh, we we do uh, you know um, uh, through Amazon and, and okay, and, sure. Um, well, one thing I want to point out that is on Amazon as well is your novel. And I literally just bought it right before we started our conversation. It's called The Same Old Story. Oh, thank you. Oh, absolutely, man. No, I think it's, uh, again, I think you have the perspective to tell this story. Um, I'll let you describe what, what the story is. But, uh, yeah, man, as soon as I saw the description, I'm like, oh, I'm there. So, yeah, go tell, tell us about The Same Old Story. Oh, well, it's, uh, it's set in about 1952. And it's uh, the the lead character is a um, is a uh, pulp a pulp writer turned comic book writer, um, and um, 
there's a, a, a sudden panic in the streets when, uh, when a bunch of publishers start closing their doors due to problems with distributors. And um, in the middle of this, a very well-known writer for DC, for national periodical publications, which is what DC was known as in those days, uh, uh, falls off a train and, and dies uh, under what turned out to be mysterious circumstances. And our, uh, our protagonist, who is also the, um, the son of a, uh, of a legendary police homicide detective, um, kind of gets involved in this thing, in, in this case. And um, uh, the book is split into, uh, into kind of two stories. One is the actual story that's being told about, you know, the, by the writer. And the other is the pulp story that he turns it into. Interesting. So, so the story is staggered between the two, the two things. So you can, yeah, it's um, kind of telling it from two different points of view. Well, and it's a great era to cover as well because again, this is the beginning of the fifties decline in comics. So this yeah. is pre Doctor Wortham and the juvenile delinquency scare that you know resulted yeah. in the Senate hearings and the like. This is just before that, um, uh, and uh, and I use. You know, I, I mean, most of the characters are, are fictitious, as are the comic book publishers and, the, and their titles and stuff. But um, I do use some real names and some. Uh, and in fact, the the murder victim is um, is, is based on the real life uh, Robert Kaniger, um, who was a, uh, a, a, a a an interesting man to say the least. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but. Um, uh, uh, actually, uh, Howard Chaikin just described him recently as uh, as the Pat Hobby of comic books. Who's Pat Hobby? That's Pat Hobby is a uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald character. Oh, look. At, at the end of his career, um, he churned out these uh, these stories about um, about this Pat Hobby, who was a, a Hollywood screenwriter on the Skids, okay. and kind of hung around the fringes and bothered everybody. Stuff. <laughs> um, <clears throat> But Canada uh, was a fascinating, quirky, insane man, and I used him as the murder victim. And uh, and at some point, just as as an homage to Julie Schwartz, who was a my editor for a while and 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 became friends after that, I threw uh, Julie in for a cameo in the book. <laughs> and um, then he starts coming back, and he has several scenes because, of course, Julie, yeah, was always there grabbing the spotlight. Sure, understood. And I've read I've read Julie's autobiography and and well aware of his his past and his his contributions to not only comics but the pulp world and and i know he was a sci-fi literary agent before getting into comics and one of those original 1930s fans of of sci-fi and everything so kaniger and 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 yeah i'm i've certainly heard my share of kaniger stories as well so kaniger did not you just you modeled your murder victim after him he did not die under mysterious circumstances correct Oh, no, no. If if he if he if he had died, everybody whoever did it would have probably claimed it. <laughs> it's like I've heard about uh, the uh, uh, oh god, and now I'm blanking the Columbia Pictures uh, head of the studio, um, the infamous guy from the uh, the fifties. Oh. Say the name again. Cone. Yes. Yeah. And when when he died, that. Uh, I think it was Red Skelton or somebody showed up at the funeral. It's just, I just wanted to make sure he really was dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And which reminds me of what Julie Schwartz said about Mort Weisinger. 
wow. who was, uh, you know, a Superman editor in the fifties and sixties and, uh, and a notorious son of a bitch yeah. and Julie's, you know, friend from high school and, and lifelong friend. But even Julie had a say about, about Mort, you know what it's going to say on his tombstone. Here lies Mort Weisinger and lies and lies and lies. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I've heard the stories and it's funny. I just spoke to Roy Thomas and Denny O'Neill prior to our conversation and well, you know, Roy, the, Mort Weisinger is the reason why Roy Thomas did not stay at D.C. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. He was such a he was such a tyrant and such a jerk. Well, is he the was Weisinger the editor that used to kind of hold up paychecks and kind of make guys jump for him? Literally. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. What kind of jerk is that? Jesus Christ. Unbelievable, you know, man. He would, um, you know, writers would come in and pitch him stories and he'd go, that's stupid. And then he'd give them something else. And then when the next writer came in and pitched him a story, he'd say, that's stupid. And then give him the last writer's pitch. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Honestly, <laughs> I kind of heard that about Julie uh, as well, frankly, in, in some cases. Nah, Julie, um, if Julie did that, it wasn't, uh, he wasn't doing it intentionally. Okay. It, uh, knowing the way his mind worked. Because when I sat down to plot with Julie... I would barely get two sentences out of my mouth of my story idea before he would start jumping in with improvisations. And it's like, well, no, Julie, you can't do that because you haven't heard the whole story yet. Wait until, but so, you know, he was, his mind was just going. So, you know, I, I would tend to think it was just like, oh yeah, that, that was in there. He didn't even think, but who knows, you know? Understood. Well, again, I think same old story. It sounds great. And uh, and it's available now. You can either buy the physical copy or digital on Amazon. And yeah, happy to happy to mention that because oh, absolutely, dude. No, you do great writing. And I know um, again in our last conversation, um, you you continued. And now I'm I'm blanking on the character's name that you created from Atlantis for DC. Oh, Arion. Arion. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did you write a couple new Arion stories as well recently? Well, I wrote a couple of short stories about an Atlantean, uh, mag a magical Atlantean lord. Um, I see. With very similar uh, circumstances and traits, but called something entirely and, and unactionably. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Understood. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I did. Originally, it was a, um, a story um, for a, uh, an anthology called Oceans of Magic. And I wrote what in my head was, you know, the last Arion story. And um, I subsequently wrote another short story to submit to a um, to a, an anthology. It didn't get accepted, so I did publish those two stories in as an ebook a while back. But I'm I'm at work on a on a novella uh, along the same you know terms, the same characters um, to to do a physical book uh, that I'll publish through crazy eight press. That's excellent. Is, yeah. And, yeah, and which is, yeah. I know you've, yeah, you've published through crazy eight before. Is that your imprint or is that a group of you guys? It, it's an imprint of um, oddly eight of us um, who, uh, including uh, Peter David and uh, Robert Greenberger and Michael Jan Friedman. Um, uh, uh, I should have written everybody's name down. Oh my God. Is Marty uh, in I, there? Is Pasco in there? No. Okay. No. No, he's just crazy on his own. Okay. <laughs> um, well, uh, 
It's an impressive group that you've mentioned, obviously, as well. No, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed their original stories and their licensed books as yep. well. And and I know for Titan recently, you did a you did a Planet of the Apes story, and I'm a huge Planet of the Apes fan. So, what can you tell us about your story? For, Tales from the Forbidden Zone, correct? In that collection. Okay. Yeah. No, I was uh, I, I was invited uh, to to submit an idea, and uh, and and uh, happily it was accepted. Uh, yeah, it was fun to write. Um, I I mean I. I'm not a, you know, diehard, you know. Ape guy? <laughs> ape guy. I mean, you know, I, I frankly have seen, I don't think I've seen an entire, you know, new ape movie. I, That's okay. I, no, no, no. Hey, all, man, it's like the Bonds. And don't get me wrong. I love the new ape movies and I love the Bonds, the the new Bonds. But you, you can't beat those original five yeah. ape movies specifically. Yeah. I think they are onto themselves just a great five movie story. And and, oh, and continuity that I love when whoever has the the ape license, you know, that's what they really need to go back to because you know that's there's a reason why that stuff you know is still popular. Yeah, yeah. So what was yeah. your story about? If you know, without spoiling, obviously. Um, it is about a um a an, a, a young ape who um finds an artifact from the uh, uh from the astronauts. Cool, that's great. And, uh, and uses it to um. To reverse engineer um, aluminum. Hilarious! That's fantastic, <laughs> man. I'm telling you, in the black and white um, magazines that Marvel put out, and I know Doug Munch wrote a lot of those really great stories as well. Did you ever have a chance to write any of the Ape stuff back in the '70s or '80s? No. So it's no. your first shot. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it was great. It's it, it's a it's a wonderful part of the uh, of the of the job is that I get to play in all these. You know, strange little little fields. I mean, I once got to write a Doctor Who story, and uh, uh, for an anthology, and and I've uh, uh, I also wrote uh, also for Titans, um, uh, uh, Alien story. Oh, cool! And, yeah. So, you know, every now and then someone will come along and go, "Hey, you want to do the Lone Ranger?" Well, sure. Why not? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Although, as it turned out, when I tried to do the Lone Ranger, I found I had absolutely nothing to say about the character. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> but I did. I wrote a story. It was about another character in the Lone Ranger. It was, you know, in there. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, and it's interesting, isn't it? I was just talking to um, John Cimino, who we were just discussing off the air. Um, isn't it interesting that some of these owners of the intellectual properties, they kind of blew it. And I and I don't know if you have a better perspective of why, but it really seems like a couple generations that potentially could have been Flash Gordon fans and Lone Ranger fans and some of these other Doc Savage, um, they kind of missed the boat. And you know now when a Dynamite or a Titan or whatever boom decides to put some of this stuff out, the old great stuff that that I grew up on and you grew up on and stuff and possibly worked on in, in the day depending on the intellectual property. You know, I, I think, you know, again, these younger readers are like, I don't know these characters. I'm not really interested. And I think they, the, again, I think the IP owners kind of blew it. And I, I assume they were waiting for better movie ideas and films were in development that never happened. I mean, John Carter and the and the last Lone Ranger movie are classic examples of these things should have been a lot bigger. And again, well, in the case of the Lone Ranger, I just think it was not that great of a movie. But I, I yeah, I wonder what your perspective on that is. Well, I think Johnny Depp and uh, 
and uh, uh, what's his name, the director? Uh, um, oh, I don't remember who directed the Lone Ranger film, but oh, it was um, the guy who did Batman. Oh, uh, Nolan, Christopher Nolan? No, 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 no the, the first Batman. Tim Burton. Oh, Tim Burton Tim, did that Lone I, Ranger I, movie? No, 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 no. But I think Tim Burton and and um, and what's his name exist to ruin everybody else's child. <laughs> this is what I think. These guys, it's like. Johnny Depp has to come in and fuck up Tonto? <laughs> I mean, please, you know? Like, is there, any, is there any easier, noble, graceful character to capture than Tonto? Agreed. You know, Agreed. And, and so, um, yeah, that stuff I have no, no patience for. I'm not, I'm not a big genre film fan. Interesting. Um, okay. Wow, I, as a I, genre writer, go on. Well, um, I think part of my strength as a genre writer is that I don't watch this stuff, so I don't fall into their cliches and tropes. Understood. Yeah. No, I, mm-hmm. I can appreciate that, definitely. So that said, are you not watching when you know the Marvel movies or the DC movies have been coming out or the television shows? Um, I, I'll see about half to two-thirds of the movies. Okay. Um. And um, the TV shows, I, the Marvel stuff didn't grab me. Um, and uh, the DC stuff was okay for a while, but I'm 63 years old and not a 16-year-old girl. So I, I don't know that I'm really the audience. <laughs> I understand. I, as you know, that's kind of what I said about Buffy and Angel when it was originally coming out. And I'm like, I, I don't care about I mean, it's okay. Good. There should be product for you know, teen yeah. soap opera and, and that kind of audience. Obviously, Absolutely. that's okay. Absolutely, and and I'm happy it's successful, and I'm happy it's bringing these characters into into other people's consciousness, and I'm happy that it's getting me bigger royalty checks uh, sometimes. At a point, you know, I'm cool, uh, but you know, I just don't feel the need to watch it. But I'm, I, I reached a certain point in my life a, a, a few years ago where I pretty much stopped watching most broadcast TV and ongoing series and stuff. You know, you realize that every week, you know, as much as I like, um, um, you know, elementary, it's the same show every week. It's just a different crime. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so uh, those those things, it just I, I don't find them interesting or engaging anymore. Well, I'm with you on elementary. I, I think initially when they what? made Watson a woman, it's like, oh, man. And it's hey, it's nothing anti-woman. It's just Holmes and Watson is this great male relationship of two men that really loved each other. And that's why I love the Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman Sherlock much more than Elementary. And Elementary, I know it's a quality show and I know it's well. And Johnny Lee Miller's a great actor. Lucy Liu is a fine actress. But it's, yeah, I just am like, oh, man, it just felt Hollywood. What if she was a woman? And there's a little tension in there. It's like, all right. (laughs) Yeah, that's, yeah. uh, But. Again, my my take is on like all of them, you know, all the hour longs. I, sure. I just I don't think there's anything I watch regular. I, I'll dip into um, the DC shows every now and then, um, like The Flash. Um, something I've always had this weird connection in the Flash with the Flash because the Earth One Earth Two thing, the the Flash of Two Worlds yes. story. Um, when Flash discovers that. There was an, there, that the other Earth really existed. He's looking at a newspaper in Keystone City, and 
the, the date on the newspaper is June 14, 1961. And June 14th is my birthday. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, happy, happy belated birthday. That's great. Okay. <laughs> and, and when I saw that as a kid, you know, I didn't read it in 61. I probably read it in uh, whatever flash annual, annual it was reprinted in, 64 or 65. Sure. And I saw that. It was like, oh, my God. You know, and, and then my whole life just as a kid, it was like, wow, as this grew, it was like, you know, the, 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 um, the multiverse was discovered on my birthday. That's true. That's true. That's amazing. You're right. Gardner Fox. Did Gardner Fox yeah. write that first Flash of Two World story? Yeah. Pardon me. Yeah, by all means, man. Grab your phone. No, it's okay. It's, uh, it was, uh, I forgot to silence my phone. And, no problem, man. And a robocall about to tell me that my, um, that uh, my credit is fine, but I should call them immediately. Uh, <laughs> but Gardner Fox wrote that original Flash of Two World story? I, yeah. Okay, there you go. You know, Robert Greenberg, as I'm sure you well know, uh, is putting out uh, a Justice League 100 Greatest Moments book. Oh, yes. And he contacted me, and he'll he'll be back on the show to talk about that in the weeks ahead. But I, um, talking about the JSA, I, I, you know, I, first of all, let's talk about the way the Flash television show has handled the multiverse. I love a that John Wesley Ship is Jay Garrick. I think that's brilliant, oh, yeah. and I love the costume, and it looks fantastic, and the whole schmear. I, I I really was excited, and like you, a couple years younger, but the the Justice Society absolutely fascinates me. It did. I'm sure in a hundred page spectacular of Justice League. You know, actually, I do remember. I was going to say that's probably where I first saw them, but I think actually it was a reprint of that Brave and Bold story. With Doctor Fate and Our Man, yeah, and then uh, Alan Scott. It's with Solomon Grundy, and Alan Scott shows up at the end, and they're like, "Oh, look, it's Green Lantern." And I'm like, "That's not the Green Lantern I know. Who the yeah. who's this awesome guy in the purple cape and the red and green yeah. outfit and the blonde hair? That's Green Lantern." And it was it was amazing. And then to learn about the Justice Society and everything, it was like, "Oh my god!" And I love those original designs. So tell me about your. your I'm sure you have that same love of uh, JSA and the like. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Justice League of America was uh, one of my top three favorite comics growing up, you know, as a kid. And I was, again, I started buying these things off the stand around 1962 or three. Um, so, um, you know, when those annual crossovers started, the, the, the crisis on, on, on uh, Earth One or Christ on Earth Two, and, yep. you know. It just like, you know, my head exploded yeah. because I knew about the Golden Age stuff, but back then all you really did was hear about these things or, you know, read in some fanzine. You couldn't, you know, they weren't readily available. Um, so, yeah, that stuff just always fascinated me. And when I started going to conventions and, you know, could pick up an occasional copy of All Star, you know, some coverless thing for a few bucks or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah, it was just amazing to read these things, the, 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 the Golden Age stories. They were so different and so goofy. Um, you know, it was just, um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, but I love the characters. I mean, Wildcat, yes. what what a beautiful car- character. I yes. Mean, like, just simple and, you know, yeah, it, it, um, yeah. Love that stuff. I'm a I'm a huge uh, boxing fan, and actually wrote for Ring Magazine and Boxing Illustrated, and oh. and and covered boxing both in print and radio for about 16 years. 
So yeah, I'm a huge I'm a huge Wildcat fan, and got to meet Irwin Hasten before he passed, and at a few New York cons, and um, uh, you know, got to talk to him about Wildcat, and uh, and you know, my my great uh, uh, regret is I wasn't doing the podcast, but while I was writing for Boxing Illustrated, uh, the publisher Bert Sugar, who was the former editor publisher of Ring, he he became a very good friend, and he introduced me several times to Bill Gallo, the wonderful sports oh, yeah. illustrator. And could not have been nicer and missed my opportunity to get him on Word Balloon and talk about all his great uh, sports illustrations for newspapers over the years and magazines. And good Lord, I mean, just such an amazing guy. And also it was fun to learn that Joe Simon also did his share of, uh, the for people who don't remember Joe Simon's name, the co-creator of Captain America, uh, that he did his share of uh, sports illustration as well. I'm inclined to think he was the creator of Captain America. More, more so than me. Jack? Tell me about that. Hold on. Let's let's uh, hear that for a second. I mean, the uh, back in the early 70s when, when uh, the New York Comic Convention was still something you could go to, uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I used to be in the fanzine business with, with Paul Levitt yes. when we were. And uh, one of the things we did was the program books for the uh, New York Comic Convention for 73 and 4, I believe. And... Um, the 1974 one was um, the original sketch of drawing of, of watercolor of, of uh, concept sketch by Joe Simon, uh, saying you know with a little note on the bottom saying, "Stan, here's the character we talked about. I think you know he'd work good with a kid sidekick." Wow. Um, and um, you know, and Phil Suling, who ran the comic convention, mm-hmm. brought that over to to. The, the fanzine office, you know, Paul Levitz's basement apartment. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, so I held this in my hand, and it's like, you know, and I looked at both sides, and there was no Jack Kirby on it. So I don't know. I hear you. Okay. Um, I'm just saying. I'm with you. No, that's, besides, that's interesting. Go on, yeah. Besides that, I really enjoy pissing off the cult of Kirby people. <laughs> Jack Kirby invented comics, my man. Dan Lee would have been nothing without him. I, I, I know. <laughs> um, well, and as a, as a fanzine guy yourself, as you say, and I wanted to talk about that, because, again, at your website, uh, paulcupperberg.com, you've got examples of uh, your fanzine that you did with uh, with Paul. And uh, what was yeah. the name of it? Uh, it was originally called Etc. And uh, we started it in February of 1971. Um, we were, uh, Maggie Thompson, uh, and her husband, um, um, used to do a, um, the quintessential news, you know, fanzine, beautiful balloon. And, um, uh, it was a Mimeo zine that they did out of Ohio sure. and they announced they were retiring the, the zine. So, uh, Paul and I, who lived in Brooklyn, New York thought, well, we've been trying to do a fanzine. Let's see what we can do. We can just always go to Manhattan and get the news, you know, from DC and Marvel. Yeah. So we did that. You know, we 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 scrapped together. We scraped together sixteen bucks, and on a Smith Corona manual typewriter, um, you know, put together the the first bunch of issues, and and uh, you know, and the rest is history. For Paul, me, I I faded into obscurity, but Paul went on to very good things. <laughs> Publisher of DC, not a bad thing, absolutely. Understood. Did you, um, do you still have, you know, it's funny, I just asked Denny O'Neill this same question, because Denny was telling me he did a history of comics for Scholastic years ago, 
uh-huh. and talked to a lot of, you know, the people before him and stuff and, and was able to, you know, record these great conversations and then transcribe them for the book. Do you have, did you, uh, did you record your interviews when you would, when you would speak to your people and do you still have any of those tapes or anything like that? I don't have any recordings of this stuff. Um, uh, I do have transcripts of, um, well, DC used to do this monthly giveaway for the comic shops called uh, um, DC Director. Yes. Yeah. And um, I wrote that thing for, well, the last run I wrote, it was I, it ran for like 90 issues. So And I wrote all of it. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. And it was yeah, monthly, it was, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it, it was kind of like it was what eventually became the Diamond Catalog stuff, you know. Um, so I would write all those new stories and all the the, the uh, issue descriptions and uh, you know and every month we did an in, I did an interview with with somebody in the news you know sure and um, and I still have the raw transcripts of of all of those interviews oh Paul that uh, would be a great book I mean I hope uh, I, I you know and it, yeah, it would be a great book that DC would probably I don't know yeah you got to yeah. talk to somebody I and yeah I understand if, and, if they were Turn my phone calls. I would talk to anybody. <laughs> Is it that distant now that you know? I yes. mean, yes, uh, yes. Okay. Now, it, it, it's it's there are some people who who answer their phone, um, but they go on to tell me that um, yada yada yada, yeah. and there's always a very good reason. And the reason and they answer their phone and they and they know it's me, <laughs> so um, it's just, it's very difficult. Oh it, man. It, I will say that I have had emails ignored by some of the top people in comic books. <laughs> Jesus. Well, you, you, you can always talk to me where worst comes to worst. And again, paulcupperberg.com. Give me the gig and I'm... Yeah. yeah, I understand. Exactly. Sadly, yeah, I got no wallet for you. That's, that's the sad thing. When it, well, when the lottery hits, then we'll, uh, we'll make it happen. But paulcupperberg.com, there are tons of examples of some of the amazing things that you've been involved with that I think any fan of... The history of comics, and not only just pure comics, but some of the other product that that has come out over the years. You wrote scenarios for the Six Flag um, action uh, kind of stuntman shows yeah, that the they theme, do. The Batman stunt shows um, at the Six Flags theme park. Uh, for a while there, I either well, I rewrote a bunch of, of existing scripts. I couldn't change them much because. They had, you know, standing sets, existing sets that I had that we had to conform sure. to. But um, I rewrote a bunch of them, so the dialogue was a little less stupid. And I wrote, a, uh, I wrote several from scratch as well, including a Batman and Robin water show. Oh, that's fantastic! I remember the ads, and, and I don't know if it was the same water show, but I remember the ads in the comics for that. And, and I'm like, a- oh man, I wish I lived close enough to like go to some of this stuff. This is in the late nineties. This is um, oh, okay. So it wasn't. I remember the seventies water show. Oh no, no, that that other thing. I think that was something in Florida where it was like practically the whole JLA was. Yes, on <laughs> water skis. <laughs> no, that was something different. Um, no, this was this was usually Batman and Robin or Joker and um, you know. I mean, I, I was I was even involved in the casting of these shows around the country uh, because they would send um, the the uh, audition tapes to us at DC to approve. So I would sit through the audition tapes of these people, you know, the want to play Batman or Robin or the Riddler or whatever at, at a, at a six leg theme park. Sure. So it was, it was painful. That's 
yeah, I don't, I, I don't imagine a lot of Olivier's were, were showing up, or you know, I can't even think of any good uh, classic Crash Corrigan. I guess would be a good. Uh, there wasn't even a good Scott Bale. In all right. <laughs> and now again, another product that you put on your website that I found fascinating were these uh, text stories from England. Yeah. Of of Superman and Batman, and these are written by Alan Moore and. Uh, Jamie Delano, who did a great, you know, uh, Constantine and Brian Talbot, another fine English writer, Peter Milligan. Um, these are great stories. And they're, sh- yeah. they're short little stories that were in, I guess, you know, uh, uh, they were called albums, you know, kind of hardback uh, annuals, yeah, they, basically. Right. right. They, they would uh, reprint like three, you know, three book length Superman or Batman stories or whatever. And then they would interspace them with a couple of, of text stories that were also illustrated. Uh, there was, you know, uh, um, uh, Mike Collins and, and uh, um, you know, Brian Talbot and whatever. I think Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a bunch of, but, you know, like all these guys. But this was 1985. So, you know, Grant Morrison was, you know, just this crazy Scotsman over here. Sure. Well, he still is. But <laughs> now, you know, got a name. <laughs> I'm looking at the Morrison story right now. It was illustrated by Barry Kitson and Jeff Anderson. And it's yeah. called... Osgood Peabody's Big Green Dream Machine, yeah, which is perfect for uh, a Superman and, and sounds very Morrison-esque. So. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, no, I mean, I come across these things. I, I've got, you know, I, I had, um, um, you know, 50 years worth of, of collecting. Sure. <laughs> you know, that I've been dragging around for 50 years. And, uh, and, and uh, as I said earlier, I'm 63 I've been lightening the loads for the last decade. I've gotten rid of literally thousands of items. Oh my god! You know? um, Garage sale? What are you? Or just giving them out? What are you doing? Um, a lot of eBay. Um, Good. Yeah, spreading the wealth. That's excellent. I know Marty does the same thing with a lot of his stuff as well, and I'm yeah. I'm glad to hear. Will you have that kind of stuff at Terrificon? Uh no, not generally. That's um, you know, the, the, those tend to be. Um, a little bit too obscure, I think, for Comic Con, um, you know, for, for a convention like that. But um, yeah, I it I come across it, and and you know, there's there's I I keep scans of everything. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a lot to carry around. I mean, um, <laughs> I can imagine. It, yeah. It's literally tons tons of material. Um, and uh, I, I feel much better every time something leaves the house. It's like ah, one less thing I have to schlep to the next place. I hear you, know? you man. Oh God! I, I and I'm kicking myself. I got rid of like 95 percent of my vinyl records for that. And being in radio, I've been in radio for 30 years. Some of the radio only product that, like, I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I, you know, sold it to a secondhand store for a dollar. And it's like, why didn't I keep that, Paul Simon? interview album that they made to support his Graceland album and it was made so that like DJs from around the country they'd give you a script and you could yeah. have a suit and I know you know the thing I'm telling this for the for the for the listeners that don't realize some of the things that radio record companies used to do to help promote their product they they would send a script and you could do a pseudo interview with Paul Simon and they would feed you the questions so you're live and you know so Paul tell us about the concept behind Graceland and you'd cut to this album where there would be these great audio tracks of him answering the questions. I know uh, Dr. Dormento, I remember, years after, and now I'm blanking on his name, and I'm sure you'll come up with it, Hello Mother, Hello Father. 
Alan Sherman. The great Alan Sherman. Yes, indeed. He did an interview with Alan Sherman, and, and they, for the same purposes, reading from a script and had the Sherman answers, and it was fantastic. And, you know, it was 25 years after Sherman passed away and everything, but Dr. Demento did it. No, I used to love, you know, just goofy stuff like that, as I'm sure you've collected over the years in, in your years of, of publishing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot comes along. It's a, And I turned out that I was a bit of a pack crack, so... It's uh, it's uh, it's all coming to surface. Yeah, it piles up. I can appreciate that. And you were in the licensing department, so I'm assuming as well that you did you oversee things like you mentioned the Six Flags shows, the uh, some of the special things like say the American Dental Association decides they want to do a Batman comic, things like oh, that. Oh, uh, yeah, we called them custom comics. Yes, I I edited uh, a uh, a bunch of those for uh, well, including the Six Flags. Um, uh, um, park guides. We did uh, seven. I think it was seventeen editions of the Six Flags Park Guide. Uh, for one for each park. So would they have and, stories in them? Uh, you know, like they had, they had stories. Uh, there was a Batman and little Batman and Robin Riddler story that uh, Steve Lytle drew. Wow. Uh, we had some Joe State and Bugs Bunny. Nice. Yeah. So we would just do that, but a lot of the material was, you know. The individual uh, parks had their own, you know, features and cover and all that. So, um, but yeah, so we did that. Um, I remember I did one written by Christopher Priest, who will be at uh, Terrific Comics here. I'm very excited because he's an old pal and and I'm looking forward to spending time with him. But um, I had one for Claritin. It was uh, the the congestion. It was uh, Batman and Robin done in the animated animated style. Uh, versus uh, Poison Ivy, and <laughs> and uh, um, uh, Robin had an attack, so he had so he took non-drowsy Claritin so he could fight crime. That's fantastic, boy! And I'm sure Batman had the Claritin in his utility belt, of course. Um, or did yeah, they... I, I, probably? No, I don't think so. But <laughs> that would have been good. <laughs> yeah, I happen to have one in my belt, old chum. Um, yeah, so things like that. Um, we did. We did the um, Celebrate the Century postage stamp albums in, two th- in the year 2000. The U.S. Post Office did, a, um, did uh, 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 100 stamps commemorating 10 from each decade, commemorating the 20th century. And uh, uh, we produced the superhero stamp albums where the characters were, you know, used in scenarios explaining what the stamp was about. And then there was a little area where you can paste the stamp into the comic. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. Very cool. And My we, favorite, we, go on, please, if there's more about that. We, 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 yeah, it was, it was fun. We were getting to use like, uh, you know, Jim Aparo and, and, uh, and, and guys like that, wow. you know, to do these things. So, uh, that's amazing. No, that's incredible. I was going to say my favorite custom comic, was the one that uh, a wealthy man created for his sons to be in a Superman story? Oh, this island, um, Bergman or something like that. Yes, yes. it was. This guy paid DC Comics to produce a um, sixteen-page comic book for his son's bar mitzvah, <laughs> and um, I, I, you know, I, uh, I think Carrie Bates wrote it, and Kurt Swan drew it, and you know, regular Julie Schwartz. Well, no, probably not Julie, but still, you know, but yeah, it was a regular, um, uh, uh, it, it, 
it now I've seen it going for like a thousand bucks on eBay. That's amazing. I, I I don't know if Marty wrote it or he just had copies. Marty might have written it actually. Marty edited. It. Oh, he edited it. Okay. Wow. Well, he, well, you see, we were both in the. I I worked for Marty. He was the group editor of the uh, of that licensing, uh, you know, yeah. part that yeah. where we did the comics, and I was in his group. And um, so there were like boxes of these things laying around. <laughs> so you know, we used to just go home with like, you know, take a bunch of those, you know. Well, they're um, fun. I mean, what a crazy, what a great idea. And God, I hope the kid appreciated it. You know, you always, I always hear these great stories. I'm a Greek kid, but I, I certainly had a lot of Jewish friends and would go to bar mitzvahs. And I know that, man, sometimes it was, you know, it's like a wedding. I mean, literally is expensive for people who don't know, like a wedding to put on some of these things. And sometimes it's like, my God, what do you think, son? That's all right. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, that guy just like spent a huge five-figure sum to have this amazing thing, you know, event for his kid. Yeah, whatever. When my son was growing up, we lived in Stamford, Connecticut. And um, uh, through uh, various circumstances, we were able to get him into the New Canaan Country School. Okay. Um, New Canaan Country School is, is quite the country school. <laughs> yeah, he was classmates with... Uh, uh, you know, Brian Williams' kids and Harry Connick's kids. Wow. And, uh, okay. and in fact, Paul Simon, um, I used to go pick him up from Paul and Edie's, you know? Wow. Edie Brickell, yeah. yes. Paul Simon's wife, new <laughs> Bohemians, sure. Huh? I was mentioning Edie when you say Edie. Edie Brickell from the 90s group, yeah. the new Bohemians, and Mrs. Paul Simon, yeah. certainly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I'd knock on the door to pick up my son because it, it, his daughter Lulu, they were both into naturally she's into music but so was my son and they used to hang out together and i was like you know and paul simon would you know barefoot paul simon would open the door and like and there's the hat he wore on the cover of you know that album sitting on the table over there and there's a, and you're just standing and you go what you know i just got to be a dad i'm him yeah, exactly you're a peer exactly <laughs> yeah. like, hey, my name's paul too you know so. <laughs> that's awesome man and as Harry Connick Jr. once said to me, as as I passed him entering uh, the auditorium for some event, no, after you, man. So, you know, cool. I had deep connections. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic, man. That's insane. Now, you know, we've been leaning into a lot of DC stuff, but you also did a lot of Marvel stuff as well. And as someone who did work for both, I'm, I'm interested in the, the differences of, of the companies when you were an active writer for both of them. Well, I didn't do, I didn't do that much for Marvel. I did, um, I think I did two... Uh, two, you know, regular superhero stories: uh, Captain Captain America fill-in and a uh, and a savage sort of Conan. I think about twenty-five years apart. Okay. Wow. And, okay. And in between, I did um, I wrote for Crazy Magazine in the late seventies and early eighties. Oh, 80s. sure. Yes, they're Mad Magazine. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I wrote the movie parodies and some other things. Which movie and, parodies did you do? That's great. Oh, I did. Uh, I did the first Star Wars. I think I did the first two or three Star Wars. Wow. And um, at least one of the Star Trek. Uh, I did a couple of the Superman movies. Um, uh, but I don't, you know, oh, Apocalypse Now. Um, <laughs> Perfect uh, for crazy. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, Apocalypse Now Land. It was, you know, <laughs> just the most, the most dangerous theme park in the world. Who, who, was, um, who, were, who were the artists on these things? Oh, uh, everything, anybody from Bob Camp to uh, Bob McLeod. Very cool. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Bob Camp's still with us. I don't know if, I, forgive me, I don't know if Bob McLeod is, but I know Bob Camp's still sure. around. Uh, yeah, Gary Halgrim did a bunch sure. of them. Um, 
Um, yeah. That's fantastic. So. Oh, God. I, yeah, I remember. Cra- Again, this is, you know, I'm, like I said, 10 years younger, man. So I was reading that stuff. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I loved all that stuff. And I'm always, I was always thrilled to learn uh, some of the great, you know, comic book people that, you know, were reading in the, in, in the DC and Marvel superhero books and stuff. And then you find out, oh, no, they did a ton of work for Crazy and, and Mad and, and things like that. John, I know John Severin, right? Didn't he do a lot of... Uh, Oh, John Severin worked for for um, um, Crack Magazine. That's forever. right. Yes, Crack. Yeah, that's right. Another, another, uh, and of course they exist now as a as a digital website and everything. Yes. So, what do you? Th- and in fact, uh, my, uh, my one of my partners in crime in in, um, in the Trump Neo Comics is Mort Todd, who was an editor of uh, um, of, Crack. Uh, of Crack Magazine, and um, and in fact, we just. Uh, we just put out a bunch of um, John Severn reprints of his Billy the Kid stuff from the original Charlton Comics. Wow, that's uh, terrific! Recolored, uh, recolored uh, from uh, from uh, photostats of the original art. I also learned on your website, speaking back with Charlton, that uh, you uh, you had a seven page uh, story that was uh, drawn by Steve Ditko. Yes, yeah, um, I got my start at Charlton. My first sales were made to Charlton Comics in. Uh, in 1975, and uh, like a half a dozen stories or so, and one of those was was drawn by Ditko, which was you know like made my little head explode. You know, I mean, I distinctly remember like I was I, I was on my way. I was attending Brooklyn College at the time, okay. and uh, I was waiting at the bus. I had transferred, and I was waiting for the bus, and I went into the candy store by the bus stop to check the comic books, and you know. I never knew what issue my Charlton stories would be. In, sure. So I just had to flip through everything every month. And, you know, I, I pick up this thing and I flip through. Well, I didn't even do it. So it's like the cover, like, hmm, because it was the cover story. Oh, wow. And then I looked up and it's like, did go. It's like, that was it. You know, I was I was useless the rest of the day. I bet. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Um, I, you know, as someone that uh, did work for Charlton, I really haven't talked much about Charlton. I've certainly read the stories of their uh, operation out in Derby, Connecticut. And, uh, I, did you ever go to the offices and uh, how much interaction did you have with the offices? I never went to the office. Everything was, um, I don't even know if I ever talked to anybody on the phone. It might've all been done through the mail. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and, um, I have since been to the site in Derby, Connecticut at the time I was living in Brooklyn when I was writing for them, but I now live in Fairfield, Connecticut, which is about a half hour from Derby. Okay. And um, um, we went. Uh, there is currently a documentary in the works yes, about Trump, yes, uh, in, in which I am involved. And um, uh, the the things that are being learned um, are almost as fascinating as the things we can't learn <laughs> about this company. There was there's some some weird stuff going on, and you know. The, the, the town of Derby, the historical society, their response to questions about the Santangelo family, who one of the families that owned Charlton yes, and kind of yes. you know, employed half the town, um, um, their response was, yeah, we know all about them. Yikes. Yeah, the, the <laughs> lot of, a lot of criminal right. element involved with the production of what Charlton put out. They, they were kind of famous for putting out uh, music magazines that would have the lyrics of popular songs without actually obtaining the rights to do that. Actually, that is that is a a uh, a, a a mishmash of 
their early history and their later history. Wow. The the two the two founders of Charlton, um, uh, uh, Levy and um, and uh, Santangelo, met in prison, in jail. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Levy was a lawyer who was involved in some political scandal in some local Watertown political scandal, and Santangelo. Uh, he was uh, uh, from Italy, uh, a bricklayer, but somehow got involved in publishing um, uh, uh, these lyric music lyric magazines and published them without <laughs> copywriting them and did time. Back in those days, they would put you in prison for that. Sure. And so he did a year in uh, in prison, as did, did Levy, and um, again, jail. They never went to prison. They were in, you know... <laughs> They were in jail and not prison. Okay. It seems different. Anyway, um, uh, after they got out of prison or jail, they started Charlton. <laughs> they had sons named Charles, so it was Charlton. Somebody sure. involved into that. And um, they began publishing the music lyric magazines and continued publishing them uh, through um, probably through around 19, you know late eighties and early nineties. Wow, that long! Holy cow! Yeah, yeah. And um, but they were legit after that. Okay. Okay. But this was a company that did its own production, printing, and distribution, which means that they were involved, uh, and they had their own trucks in order to distribute their 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 publications, right? Which comic books and paperbacks and magazines and probably a lot of dubious material that was not sold over the counter. I hear you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where their, their mantra was, we don't care what it is, just keep the presses rolling. That's what I've always heard, uh, yes, yes. And um, so the fact that they were involved in distribution and in trucking, you know, back in the 40s and 50s, it suggests a possible criminal element. <laughs> you know, because like, yeah. they, they, in places like Chicago, there would be shooting wars over, over New Stanford. I'm in Chicago, but, I know exactly what you're talking about, go on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I lived in Chicago for a while back in around 1980. I lived there for a few years. Oh man, I almost moved to Connecticut because I'm in. I was in sports radio for a long time in in my broadcast career, and uh, came very close to going over to ESPN, but they lowballed me, and I, I was making more money in Chicago. And I'm like, yeah, I think yeah. I'll stay in Chicago. Thank you. So, but, um, uh, so yeah, so you know, so there was there's stuff going on. But on the other hand, where we're you know they've been digging up interesting people, we actually we did a panel. Um, uh, no, it was a library. We we did at the Derby Library. Okay. We did a talk with me and the filmmakers. Um, you know, showed a clip and and discussing it. And um, most of the audience was older. Many of them remembered, you know, the company and all that. And a few of them had worked for the company. Wow. It was gold. And one woman said stood up and said, I used to work the giant typewriter and I practically leapt over the table at her screaming, you're a machine. Because <laughs> Charlton Comics had a credit, you know, lettering, A, period, machine. Hilarious. And what that machine was, was this oversized typewriter in which they rolled the, the, the comic art and literally typed it onto the page. Wow. And this was one of the women who had done that job. But, you know, we had never, like, you know, 
you know, everybody had figured out what the machine was a long time ago. It was a, you know, a, um, a specialty machine, but it was for sale. You know, uh, it was out sure. there. But nobody had ever talked to, you know, ever knew who these people were. <laughs> so, you know, so we're running, you know, we're finding interesting things like that. It's a slow, steady thing, but um, it's going to be a great, um, you know, a great documentary. And, you know, the people who got started at Charlton, uh, myself aside, are pretty amazing, you know. Denny O'Neill, I know, was there. and J- Jim Aparo. Yes. Uh, Pat Boyette. Uh, yes. Don Sutton. Mike Zek. Um, you know, you can just keep going. Understood. Was, uh, I was going to say Burn or no? Yeah, Burn. Burn, Staten. Um, it was just, um, it, it was a great place because, again, they didn't care what was in the books. <laughs> yes. Well, again, like they you just, said, just keep the presses rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's rolling, yeah. Well, and um, and one of my favorites, and again, I briefly talked about him uh, with Danny O'Neill, was uh, Pete Morrissey. Yeah. Who just yeah. cranked out writing and drawing and was a, uh, a policeman by day and yeah. or night. I'm not sure what shift he had, but his side was gig was the, writing and drawing comic books. Um, I, it, I grew up reading the Charlton comics of the 1960s um, um, and piece, his uh, uh, Peter Cannon uh, judo master was a particular favorite of mine. mine I love the Thunderbolt. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. He had, he had this George Tusker riff going, um, which was just great. Very simplified line. And everything. Absolutely. And uh, even some of the ones that didn't make it, like I remember vengeance squad was this sure. plain clothes, yeah. just kind of action comic and stuff. Uh-huh. And yeah, man, no, I, you know, this is, this is what I hunt for. When I go through the dollar bins, is yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. like that absolutely. But um, when I, I started work at DC in '91, uh, one of the first titles I was headed, handed to edit was uh, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, yes. uh, which um, my uh, Mike Collins was writing and drawing. And um, after you know, I'm working on the book, and the first issue comes out, and my phone rings one day. And I pick it up, and this voice growls. This is Pete Morisi. Oh, okay, that's how you say his name, Morisi. Go on. Yeah. Um, and um, and my first thought was, oh shit, <laughs> hates the book. But in fact, he was very pleased with the with the way we were handling it, and thought the first issue looked great, and all that, and you know, said, don't hesitate to you know to, to call me if you have any questions or about the character. Very sweet. Um, and then a few months later. Dick Giordano stuck his head in the door, in my door, and said, "Hey, I'm going to have uh, lunch with Pete Morisi at the uh, Society of Illustrators. You want to join us?" Wow. So I said, "No, thanks. I'm going to have a sandwich at my desk." <sighs> and uh, no, I went. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. What was that like talking to Morisi like that, or Morisi? Or no, Morisi. Excuse me. Marisa, yes, I just I just sat there and shut up because <laughs> I was sitting there with Dick, who was also a great storyteller and and uh, a big he, and a big guy at Charlton as well. His action hero yeah. line got him his DC job, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And Dick started in the art department in the in the fifties, and you know worked there for for a dozen years before he became the editor. Wow. Um, and um, you know, but also just uh, one of the sweetest people ever. And uh, and a good storyteller, and you know he could tell a great story because he could never be interrupted because he was 
gap and didn't know when you were talking over him. This is what I've heard, uh, and, and I know, and I've read a lot of transcriptions of interviews and stories. Go on, yeah. I'm, I, honestly, Giordano's another one of those guys that God, if I had a time machine, would love to sit down and get a chat with. You know, I am. I, I'm really lucky. I got into the comics business, you know, as a fan in the early '70s and um, professionally in '75. And when I got in there, I mean, remember the industry was only 40 years old at the time. Sure. And the people who had created it were in their 60s and 70s. Understood, absolutely. Yeah. And I got to know these guys, a lot of them, and I got to work with them. I mean, geez, you know, I grew up on Kurt Swan's Superman. The best. That was my Superman. Too, that was man. the definitive Superman. Yeah. And the first time I write a Superman story, Kurt Swan draws it. Wow. You know? And there I am, you know, my stuff's being drawn by, by um, you know, Gil Kane and, 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 uh, and Dick Giordano and Jim Aparo and, and all the, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Irv Novick. And, yes. And, you know, like, holy crap. <laughs> like, and, and I met these guys, you know, I got to hang out and Kurt to Kurt, you know, talk to Kurt Schaffenberger while he was drawing my Superman, you know, my Superboy story. Oh, that's story. great. Yes. Carmine Infantino, uh, you know, uh, who I work with a lot, sure. you know, so um, yeah, sometimes I, I look at the list of people who drew my stuff and, you know, that 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 old, you know, I'm not worthy. It's like, well, really, <laughs> you know, looking back at those stories, you know, what I was capable of writing in those days, which was well intended, but, you know, crude. Um, it, it was like, really, they, they shouldn't have wasted Kurt on this. They. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, it's interesting because I, 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 I appreciate what you're saying. And, and yeah, there was a a leap in terms of writing that happened in my perspective in the 80s and certainly in that uh, Frank Miller era. But even before that, even guys like uh, Doug Munch and some of these other guys, I think, as you know, the 80s progressed. So was that a, you know, was there an edict uh, coming from editorial at that point? Of when comics grew yeah. up and said, "Hey, let's write them more like this, and less for the ten and twelve year olds." We we were doing that because the ten and twelve year olds weren't buying them, so you know why bother? Um, but um, I think it was just you know the chance, um, the chance to write these more involved stories was just like you know if you're if if you're a writer, you know the fifteen story about. Superman, you know, growing some weird appendage from red kryptonite. (laughs) Howard Chaikin, just, again, something he posted recently on on Facebook, he said the the difference between Marvel and DC was that um, Marvel embraced its silliness. Marvel went with the silliness of the the superhero comics and 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 the things that, you know, that went on in them. And DC tried to treat it seriously. Like, you know, this silly shit was life and death in these stories, as opposed to, you know, Spider-Man jumping around and, and, and you know, having a, a wise, a wise acre, yeah. a, a wise cracking attitude about stuff. Yeah. You know, everybody in DC was like, you know, of, of course, this most ridiculous thing you can think of, you know, this whatever stupid Mort Weisinger concept, you know. <laughs> That, that, that the story is about, the characters, you know, took it dead serious. And, you know, when you look at what comic books were about, there was certainly nothing serious about them because there was never anything, you know, 
the comics code really forbid anything really serious from, from going on. Um, and even after, you know, real serious stuff did start going on, you know, how serious is it? You, you, you've got these people who you know aren't going to die because somebody's just going to pull the ultimate nullifier out of their ass and make them better the next issue. <laughs> yeah. You know, I saw, the, you know, I, I, I watched the Avengers, uh, um, you know, the latest Avengers Infinity movie. Infinity War, yeah. Infinity Wars, and it's like, there's no emotional impact. You know, all these characters, you'd think that at one point, at some point, this old fanboy would go choke, gasp, <laughs> At, at all these people, but it's like, well, no, they're just coming back in the next movie, so why? who cares? Isn't it funny, though? I'm sure you're at least aware of it if you're not reading it, because I'm not reading it, but all of these websites are, here's a way Marvel can bring back, you know, they can bring back an Infinity War, and it's like, all of us old farts are like, yeah, no shit. We're the, you know, yeah. but I love the mainstream reaction of, oh my god, Spider-Man, he, he crumbled to dust. What's, what's yeah. gonna, well, how are they gonna make the next movie? And it's like, are you that stupid? In, really? Really? In, in 2014, I did the Death of Archie storyline yes. in the Life with Archie. Loved it. Go now, on, please. Life with Archie was a an alternate universe what if series. Yeah. Two storylines running. What if he married Betty? What if he married Veronica? How would their lives be? Go. Book was about to wrap up. I said as a joke, well, why don't we just kill him? And they took me seriously. <laughs> And I had to figure out how. But but then, you know, they announced the story. And it broke. uh, I'm not kidding you worldwide. I was doing interviews in India, in Australia. You were, absolutely, man. Go on. And people were like, how can you kill Archie? (laughs) Well, Archie is still over there. You know, he's still being published in six different titles. This is just this stuff. You know, they, they they don't get it, you know. And, and I've killed characters that have actually stayed dead. Which characters you know? did you kill? Tell me. Oh, man, which characters haven't I killed? <laughs> um, I, killed I killed Aqua Baby. Wow, yes. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Trauma. Sure. Massive trauma. Way to go, man. I, Way to give Arthur and Mara a serious, uh, you know, complex. <laughs> you know what? He kept wetting himself. Um <laughs> Uh, Vigilante, Adrian yes. Case. Oh, please. And I, honestly, man, that was such a disturbing ending. And I've talked to Marv about the series. And I don't remember if you and I talked about your run of the series as well. I love that series. And man, that is some hardcore shit. I don't know if DC or Marvel can do that today. I, um, I, I, I that was when I grew up in comics, you know, um, as a writer, that series. Because it was the first time it wasn't, and I love Superman. I would marry Superman. <laughs> I, you don't understand what Superman means to me, meant to me growing up. Um, although if I can ever get the damn memoir published, you'll find out. But um, it was just, you know, but still, it's Superman, you know? Yes. And, and I wrote in, in the 80s, I was writing at the same time, Superman. Action Comics, Superboy, Supergirl, DC Comics Presents, and the Superman newspaper strip. Jesus, man. Yes, yeah, and I can. I I wanted to get into your Superman stuff, but please continue. But, so, you know, after 
all of that in the early 80s. And then I go into stuff like, you know, after the crisis and I'm no longer on Superman, I go into stuff like, you know, the new Doom Patrol and, and then Vigilante. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Phantom Stranger miniseries came came at yep. that point. Yep. Um, and, and Vigilante was the first time it was like, all right, this is still, you know, this is the this is the only comic book I've ever written where there was actually something at risk for the character. You know, it's like I know that I knew that when we killed him, and we didn't plan on killing him. We just one day, you know, I was kind of looking at, at, at where we were. And it's like, well, crap, you know, you can't keep this guy going. Because he's unsustainable. He, after all, yeah, for done. people who don't remember, Adrian Chase, he came out of Teen Titans, very daredevilish in terms of he was a judge by day, and and took on the vigilante role. To really, it was kind of a combination of Daredevil and the Punisher. And Punisher, yeah. You know, so yeah, he was killing he was killing uh, criminals, and and yeah, they were kind of, uh, you know, there was kind of a chase to you know put two, two and two together that Adrian Chase was the vigilante. Yeah, and, in, and and during the run of the book, we also had two other people put on the costume. Yes, yes, um, and die bloody, you know. That's right. Wow. Uh, for so, you know, so it was suddenly I was doing a book where you know not only could I blast holes in people, but they stayed there. Yeah. <laughs> <You> yes. <laughs> and and for the first time, it made me realize, you know, like a, you know, you could just keep going. It's like they were letting us do it. You know, they were letting us do these stories and um, he was getting crazier and crazier. And finally, we reached a point where it was like, well, you know, this guy has to end it. Um, And it would be easy to have somebody else shoot him down. But that doesn't mean anything. Um, So the 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 series ended with with the character in his bathroom in front of the mirror and and puts a gun under his chair and pulls the trigger. And is found. And is cremated, and is dead. Damn it! <laughs> damn straight. Um, and then we spun the book. You know, we kind of took some of the characters and spun it out into the Checkmate series. That's right. Um, yes. Series, yeah. Of course. But, but you know, but that was like the one time in comics where I actually got the opportunity to do something that had some kind of. Damage. Forgive my buzzer. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I um no, I remember it well, and I also remember the and i don't remember the specifics but i remember the text piece afterwards as well and was there any blowback from readers or advocacy groups of how dare you do this or any crap like that um nothing that i really remember i mean there was um uh there was no honestly i I don't remember i mean there must have been some reaction but i i don't remember anything okay yeah, man. No, it was honestly. Uh, well, the design of of the costume is what I'm sure initially attracted me from a cover standpoint. I wasn't reading Teen Titans. I was one of those few. Again, being an adult, I'm like, ah, you know, whatever. Good luck with the Teen Titans. But um, but yeah, I really got into Vigilante. And yeah, man, I, I read it right till the end, and and I remember that cover as well of him standing in front of the mirror, and and yeah, and yeah that moment. And it was, it was. That was disturbing shit, man. And like I said, I don't know if they can do that today. I don't. I mean, God, they take they've taken Wolverine's cigars away, so <laughs> I don't think yeah. I don't think a suicide, you know. And obviously, Tom King, I don't know if you're aware, is dealing with um, superhero post uh, stress disorder, um, 
and uh, he, uh, he or PTSD, and and there's going to yeah. be a series from DC coming out in just a couple months called Sanctuary, and I don't know how far they're going to let uh, Tom go with that, but um, shouldn't they call it Suicide Squad? Well, <laughs> well, but you know, obviously in that case, <laughs> that was the threat, of course. But I don't know if they've ever actually, other than I remember uh, in in the cartoon, and actually I'm sure in the book there was some villain whose head got blown off or whatever. But for not for not uh, complying to uh, whatever uh, Amanda Waller was uh, was putting out there, I've talked to John Ostrander obviously about about the, the his version of the Suicide Squad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, no, that was that was some heavy stuff. And and honestly, I'm so glad you brought that up because yeah, I uh, and like I said, I talked to Marv about it briefly at a, at a convention a year or two ago. But uh, that's been my only conversation about uh, Vigilante and his. Shocking suicide death. Um, man, unbelievable. Yeah. Crazy stuff, man. I also wanted to bring up, as we talk about Superman, uh, your World of Krypton uh, three-issue miniseries, and of course with the television show going on. But I, I, I always loved the backup stories back in the day of World of Krypton, and I, and right. I enjoyed your specific history and, and really kind of getting into Jor-El and Lara's uh, relationship and the ability of Superman through typical Kryptonian science uh, to be able to... Finally, see, right. see the, the relationship between his parents. That's right. To see things that he wasn't uh, he wasn't present to witness. Yeah, <laughs> including the well, uh, the shrinking of uh, of Candor. That's right. Well, you know, it's again, it's that thing with you know, it's a thing you can do in comic books. Uh, you can you can kind of fudge the the whole thing. You know, you can fudge reality. You can kind of you know just make it work. Sure. Because. You know, but um, but yeah, that was back in in primitive times. Uh, that world of Krypton was originally supposed to be a three issue arc in Showcase. Oh, sure. And that book got canceled, and that and the uh, the world of Krypton was stuck in a drawer. And then the Superman movie came along, the the first Christopher Reeve film, and um, they couldn't do any comics based directly on the film. Because of uh, contractual problems with Mario Puzo. Oh, wow. The man who originally wrote the screenplay for <laughs> Superman, I know, was drastically changed by Donner that's and, uh, and Mankiewicz. But that's why there was never any comic book adaptation or novelization of the film. That's why they did Elliot Magan's rather excellent Last Son of Krypton. I was just talking about that, both on Facebook and to friends. And I'm so glad that Elliot has re-released it, because you're absolutely yeah. right. It's one of the best... Superman stories ever. Yeah, it's uh, that and um, Tom DeHaven's It's Superman yes. is another great book. I agree. Um, so they um, they had a you know scramble for, for, for Superman product because the movie was coming out and they remembered they had this three issue thing in the draw. So they, they put it out you know just as a miniseries and it, it turned out to be the first uh, ever intentional comic book miniseries. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. That's crazy. Because, yeah, I remember buying that in 1979. I bought all three issues, absolutely. Yeah, there was um, there were other, you know, earlier things that lasted, you know, two or three issues, but that wasn't the intention. Wow. Okay, that's that's crazy, man. And, yeah, so, like you said, you mentioned some of the artists that you got to work with when, you know, during your Superman run, um, and Superboy, of course, and Supergirl. Um, are they using... You mentioned, and I hope so. You know that are they using any of the characters you created, and are, and sounded like they're they're taking care of you if they if they are. Are they? They've used a few of the um, 
uh, of uh, characters in, in Supergirl. They used uh, and in um, mm -hmm. tomorrow they used Valentina Vostok from the uh, new Doom Patrol. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah. And uh, they used some of the they've used a couple of villains from uh, Supergirl in the show. Um, and yeah, there's I, I there there are, I have participation as we call it in the business in the in characters are created. Um, so there is, uh, there, there is some remuneration involved. I'm glad to hear but that. The big bucks, but the big bucks is the movies. Yeah. Jerry Ordway kind of spelled that out to me when, and again, yeah. I'm not, I, I, I really, I don't want to get into your guys' personal business, but as a fan, we just want to make sure that you guys are, you know, being acknowledged, uh, monetarily as well as just, you know, DC has, DC has always been really good about that. They, um, you know. I always get uh, comp copies of anything, and and uh, um, you know if if something is used, and and I'm the uh, I'm the credited uh, creator or co-creator or whatever. Yeah, it's it's never an issue. Good. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to hear that. All right, have you watched? Did you watch that first season and all of Krypton? Uh, I got about twenty five minutes into the first episode, <laughs> and and thought, why do they sound like they're like living in Brooklyn today. <laughs> so, again, I don't have, I don't have a lot of patience for genre stuff. I'm uh, yeah. it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, I, um, I've been doing, I've been writing other stuff on my own time. I've been writing my own, you know, uh, prose stuff, mm -hmm. um, quite a bit of, of, of things. And it's, um, uh, when you start writing prose, comic books become very annoying because prose is very liberating. It's just you. You don't have to worry about an artist, uh, you know, pulling off the gag or the, or the bit or anything or how to describe. It's just you. It's you alone with the page. It's you alone with the story. It's totally your responsibility. And, um, and, you know, so when you have to do comic book, silly comic book stories with, with silly stuff happening, you know, it's kind of like, no, no, let me get back to reality. That's a lot more fun, you know. I understand, yeah. Um, so, you know, I've been I've been enjoying that, and, and it kind of, it's kind of, you know, and, and Frank, well, the, um, you know, again, I haven't watched the Marvel shows, but the dialogue on the DC shows is ridiculous. <laughs> Human beings don't talk that way. First of all, you don't use, everybody doesn't use each other's names Every every sentence. I'm sorry, you know. I'm with you. But no, it's just I, I can't. I, I listen to the and, and and after a little bit, it's just like no, I, I can't listen to these chimps gibber anymore. It's just you know, it's, it's just. Uh, and again, I am not the audience. I'm, I'm you know? yeah, yeah. I hear you, man. Yeah. And I'm so and I'm also a pretentious, you know, English lit major, who is you know currently reading Truman Capote and and Evelyn Waugh. So, nice. Waugh. So. You know, it's like, you don't go by me. I understand. Well, um, now, in a couple of weeks, we're already in August. I was going to say next month, but it's August 1st when we're talking. Yeah. In just a couple of weeks, we're going, to, we're going to be at Terrificon. You're going to be on a great Superman panel with uh, contemporaries and, and people who yep. uh, came after you as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a good Superman okay, discussion the there. I think I'm the earliest. Uh, uh, yeah. Stern, Tomasi, and Ordway. Yeah, I know. I got them all. There you go, man. No, it's going to be great. And I and truly uh, I look forward to uh, 
picking your guys' brains and and discussing Superman and everything. And uh, yeah, I, I've uh, it's 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 been fun. It's been and it's it's been great reading your comic book stuff. And again, like I said, uh, thrilled to buy uh, the new novel. And I'm going to bring it back up again. The same old story. So uh, looking forward to that. And uh, hey, man, I hope you'll come back. I don't. I we, we've almost been talking for ninety minutes now. I'll, I'll figure. I'll let you go. And uh, well, I do want to say oh, one more. Uh, absolutely, Paul. Speaking of Terrificon, um, uh, I've also doing a few other panels as well. Um, I'm doing a toys and comics panel. We're going to talk about uh, Masters of the Universe and and GI Joe and stuff with me and Larry Hama and Michael yes, Golden. I, yeah, I, that's uh, going to be a great panel as well. And and you did that great mini series of. Uh, he Man versus yes. Superman. So please go on. That's right. I did the first. I did the first uh, comic book uh, ver- uh, Masters of the Universe stuff. Um, <laughs> but and 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 I'm excited about both those sure. channels. However, on Friday, uh, the day before, I have two other panels. The first one is with uh, a a woman named Barbara Friedlander, who was a romance editor at DC Comics in the uh, in, in the 1960s. And uh, the co-creator of uh, Binky. Wow! And, yes. Uh, so, um, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to talking to her about her career and and you know all the all the great people she worked with. You know, Joe Orlando and J. Scott Pike and John Romita and and you know, um, and uh, then, and this has just got me like this is my fanboy geek time. Uh, Friday at uh, seven to eight o'clock. I will be uh, I will be sitting down to talk to Henry Winkler. You know, God, I'm so glad you brought that up, Paul, because I meant to talk to you about that. And I'm and, and honestly, both of those panels, uh, because I would love to hear Barbara's point of view of of her time and again the romance comics and and Binky, the teenage DC character. But yeah, tell me about yeah. I'm sure you're excited as hell to talk to the Fonz. Tell me about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's you know, again, I. I you know, I, I was there for the whole, you know, uh, um, happy days thing. Sure. And and um, and I also remember him, like, you know, doing guest shots on Mary Tyler Moore and things yes, like that. Yes, we that. And Bob Newhart, absolutely. But, <laughs> but in 1973, the summer of 1973, it was the first time I became, I saw him because um, I was passing the, the, the schoolyard of Samuel J. Tilden High School in Brooklyn, where I had just graduated uh, the previous June. And there were a bunch of guys in leather jackets. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Go on. <laughs> yeah. And they were filming Lords of Flatbush. A great in television my movie. Go on. Yes. Uh, it wasn't a TV movie. It was a theatrical movie. Oh, it was a theatrical I didn't realize that because I remember seeing it on television the yeah. first time I saw it. Please continue. And um, it, um, there were these goofs, you know, in leather jackets in August in Brooklyn. And we start yelling and all that. And, you know, a couple of couple of crew people. I think they were, I think it was a guerrilla filming, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, and, um, and we start yelling and, you know, screaming at them. And they start, you know, they're trying to film. <laughs> and finally, um, you know, finally one of them turns around and, you know, tells us to get the fuck out of there. And, you know, starts threatening us. And we're laughing because, you know, I was like, yeah, go ahead, chase us. It'll take an hour to get out of the schoolyard. And this is our neighborhood, you know, so let's have fun. Anyway, we finally left them alone. But it was the it was um, it was uh, Sylvester Stallone who told us to fuck off. Hilarious. Yes. Yes. And this is two years before uh, Rocky. Go on. That's right. And this and then it was uh, uh, Perry Perry King. King, Absolutely. The lead who for geeks played Han Solo in the BBC Star Wars radio adaptation. 
There you go. How about that? Go on. And Henry Winkler. Yes. Um, and this was the movie The Lords of Flatbush, which was being filmed in East Flatbush, so I don't know. But um, uh, but anyway, so you know, then the next year we see this movie The Lords of Flatbush, and we see it, and then it's like, holy crap, there's Tilden, you know, that was our school. Um, and then I just found this out um, on the Batman Brave and the Bold animated yes. show. He was the voice of Ambush Bug. I totally forgot that. That's fantastic. And I wrote the first Ambush Bug story. I didn't realize that. That's amazing, man. Yeah, it was, it was in um, it was an issue of DC Comics Presents that I did. It was um, it was uh, Superman and the New Doom Patrol, <laughs> and um, and uh, and Ambush Bug shows up and you know back then he was pretty much you know bugs bunny with teleportation yeah, um yeah was, but that was the first story so was, was he uh bob rosakis did he create ambush bug as well or no keith giffen it was giffen was it yourself then and giffen that are co-creators or was it giffen on his no. own so it was giffen's character he brought um he was going to be drawing the issue of dc comics presents and uh we sat down with julie to plot out a story and um he said hey i got this this you know, wacky character. And I said, Oh, great. I love wacky. And, uh, so it was Keith's character. It's, he's the sole creator of, of okay. which bug. I, I just happen to be the first person to write him. Very cool. Um, That's excellent. man. I know Keith is also going to be a terrific con. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and you know, he's become kind of, uh, the JD Salinger of comic, uh, as far as, uh, granting interviews. He, I got him uh, very early on when I, when I, like within the first year, the Salinger, but without the openness. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, uh, but I'm I'm gonna. I actually went online and and got an issue of Happy Days, uh, with Winkler on the cover for him to sign. Um, That's great. But then I, but I'm gonna also bring that the DC Comics presents to uh, to, to to sign. Sure, too. but um, That's amazing. So really who who made you know, who made the Happy I don't know Who made the Happy Days comic? It was uh, Gold King. Oh, of course. Who did uh, and Charlton, of course, did their TV licensing, and everybody did. I know DC had Welcome Back Cotter back in the day. Um, I'm sure. Well, uh, DC was doing licensing back in the fifties. That's true. They had they had Bob Hope, uh, Martin and Lewis, um, um, uh, uh, a couple of cowboy. Um, you know, I think Hop Along. Did they do Hop Along, or did they do? Well, they had a couple of cowboys. Well, and I know they had a couple of popular radio shows as well, like Mister Mister District Attorney and. I believe right. Gangbusters was also published by DC. Yeah, so um, so they've been doing that a long time, and in the '60s they they licensed Welcome Back, Cotter. Um, I think Bob Oxner drew that. I know Mark Evanier, who also worked on the TV show, worked yeah. on the comic as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's great. No, dude, I'm I am uh, very. I know that Henry Winkler is in good hands, and another one of my favorites of his. I hope you bring it up is. Uh, the Carl Reiner movie he made about wrestling, the one and only. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, no, he's, and of course, night shift. And I'm, I'm I, yeah. I am a huge Henry Winkler fan as well. And every time he pops up on something new, I, isn't it great that he escaped the Adam West, uh, Clayton yeah. Moore fear of stereotyping yeah. and stuff. And that he's had such a, an amazing career, an incredible career, both as a producer well, and, a, and an actor post Fonzie. And I, I love um, Barry on HBO. Yes, he's great on Barry. He's wonderful on yeah. Barry. Yes, he's got this. He, he plays this, you know, this kind of vague, self-involved guy now, 
you know, kind of the same. It, it's similar character on, on Arrested Development. Yes, too, you blah, know, blah, kind of, blah. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but he's great. I, I just... Um, yeah, Royal Pains. He was great as uh, the main character's father yeah. and stuff, and kind of a con man. And God, yeah. even that. Do you remember that uh, Western anthology show? Uh, oh God, now I'm blanking. A Canadian show. I forget what it was called, but it was great. It was like weird Western tales. It was like a a Twilight Zone yeah. set in the West. And I can't remember the name of it, but he kind of played this nebbishy guy that uh, it was always about a gun and and it, it, it exchanging hands uh, from various people. And it was just a one a one off that he did on this anthology show. But uh, yeah, he Dead Man's Gun. It was called Dead Man's Gun, okay. and yeah, he was. I mean, no, he's he's always great, and it's just. I mean, God, even in uh, the uh, Kevin James movie about uh, mixed martial arts, here comes the boom, and he's the music teacher that Kevin James kind of saves in the movie. He's like the plot really revolves around his character and his music department being threatened gosh, with cancellation. How, it's a tremendous movie. Gosh, how did I I miss that? One? That's pretty. <laughs> Kevin James, you say? Well, that's <laughs> I, got, I got to be honest, and I'm more of a boxing guy than I am an MMA guy. But it's a cheesy movie, but it, it for me it worked. I don't know, man. And again, I respect your because there is a lot of conversations I, I that spent, would never happen, sort of things. But <laughs> I spent I spent ten long weeks working for WWE. Oh man! Yikes! <laughs> Good lord! Jesus, Paul, come back. I hope you'll. Uh, I, I really appreciate you coming yep. on and and talking about this stuff. And uh, you know, there's a ton of stuff we haven't even gotten into. We'll get into it a oh, little please. more next in the next couple of weeks on the Superman panel. But people tuned out about 45. No, minutes no, ago. no, cool. not at all, man. Not my audience. They they come for this kind of history and perspective. And truly, I appreciate that because one thing that I keep saying is, you know, pre 90s, not everything has been put down on video or audio or even written about. And we need uh, people like you that know the real story. And I, and I sometimes get angry at my fellow podcasters or bloggers today who think they know their history. And it's like, yeah, it didn't happen that way. And you should talk yeah. to somebody who was there and can actually give you the perspective you're looking for. So I really hope your okay. memoirs come through. And again, things like, and I know it's fiction, but the same old story and other projects like this and your website, again, paulkupperberg.com, because you're, you're really, you're, I, I'm thrilled that you're going through your archives and uh, bringing that stuff up, putting it out there, and it's—I'm telling you, you people—you're gonna—you're in for a deep dive if you go to Paul's website of uh, a lot of really, really interesting stuff. That's crazy. <laughs> Thanks for talking today, man. No problem. It was a pleasure. That's Paul Kupperberg. I look forward to having him on the Superman panel that we're doing at Terrificon and have him talk more about uh, his uh, run on Superman and Adventures of Superboy and Supergirl. And you can guarantee that I will have another one-on-one with Paul Kupperberg in the months ahead in a future Word Balloon. What a great conversation and truly look forward to more future ones with Paul. Let's switch gears now. Um, As you know, in my last conversation with Roy Thomas, I talked up his wonderful magazine, Alter Ego, part of the Tomorrow's Publishing Group. And uh, Roy just does this incredible job, and his group of writers and artists as well, of bringing us wonderful stories about creators from the Golden Age, the Silver Age, and certainly even the Bronze Age. But uh, it was great to see that uh, Roy gave a cool opportunity to uh, this next guest, Bryn Cimino. And uh, Bryn is the son of John Cimino, a.k.a. or the son. Bryn is the daughter of John Cimino, a.k.a. Stretchy Hulk Guy. If uh, you know your toys, you know about John. John is always with 
Roy when they go to conventions. And uh, Bryn, at uh, 13 years old, got a great opportunity from Roy to, uh, dr to draw a sketch of him in an issue of Alter Ego. It's the issue that there's uh, a beautiful illustration of Gil Kane on the cover. And Bryn does an equally uh, beautiful illustration of Roy inside the magazine. And it's great to hear a young person who's getting really excited about art talk about her ambitions and her hopes. And very cool of Roy and Dan Thomas as well, Roy's wife, to encourage her with her art. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a great experience. So it's a pleasure to now to uh, talk uh, briefly with Bryn Cimino about her experience drawing for Alter Ego. And uh, it's great to hear from a young artist and kind of what they want to do. And she's great. She's a freshman in high school, about to start a freshman year. Uh, but I'll let her tell her story in this segment now on Word Balloon. Bryn Cimino, welcome to Word Balloon. Uh, congratulations on uh, your art career. Man, you're already published. Thank you. Your dad told me that you did this great sketch of Roy and uh, Roy Thomas, and it's in his Alter Ego magazine, and I've seen it. And it's a, it's a very good likeness of Roy. <laughs> How long has Roy been a family friend? Well, my dad has known him for a long time, and I met him at his Halloween party, and he is such a nice person. Like, he's, like, so genuine, and he's so kind, and I, he, like, just being around him, it just makes you so happy. Like, when we went to his house, we were looking at his farm, he was introducing us to all his animals, and he sends me cards about them, and it's so amazing to know, like, him, and it's such an honor to know him, too, so it's just great knowing him. That's great. Are you going to be at his Halloween party this fall? Yes, 100%. Do you know what you're going to be for Halloween? I have no clue yet, but probably a superhero <laughs> again. Do you like comics and you're into superheroes? 100%, yes. What are your favorite superheroes? Well, I love Artemis, and actually Roy created Artemis, and he said that he would name um, her middle name Bryn in honor of me, so I found that like amazing. So, and she's like, I'm so that's, <laughs> that's really cool. Now, I'm trying to think, has Artemis been in any of the live-action CW shows yet? Um, I don't think so. I know she was on Young Justice, right? Yeah, that's like my favorite cartoon. <laughs> Me too. I love that show too. And I'm excited. Um, are you going to get DC Universe so you can see season three? Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, they see that. You got to hit up Dad for that. Make sure you get that. That's cool. That's <laughs> yeah. great. I talked to Greg Wiseman, the the guy who uh, is the showrunner, the creator behind uh, Young Justice. He's a really cool guy, and I think he under he kind of gets these heroes because I think for a while DC was you know I, I don't I didn't I didn't like the direction DC was going in, but lately I love DC and ever since Rebirth. So, what are your favorite comic books? Well, my favorite comic books are basically anything X Men related. I love X Men. Cool. What are your favorite X Men characters? Um, Wolverine and Phoenix are my two favorites. Excellent. So Wolverine being the guy Wolverine or uh, his daughter who took over being Wolverine for a while? It's the guy Wolverine. He's my absolute favorite. I think he's so cool. That's fantastic. What artists influence your work or the ones that you kind of look at and, and admire? Well, artists, I don't really have any in general. I kind of go around the web and I look up inspiration and stuff like that. And also... My dad, a little while ago, gave me, like, it was like a superhero drawing. Like, it's like how to introduce you into, like, learning how to draw, like, how superheroes, like, are drawn in comic books. And I found that mm -hmm. really helpful for drawing new, like, poses and stuff like that. 
That's cool. Was that the book called How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way? Yep. <laughs> I know that book. There you go. That's a great book, and those are uh, guys that you know worked with Roy back in uh, back in the sixties, seventies, and eighties. So they're that you know you're learning from the masters. That's terrific. <laughs> you know we're talking about an- animation and, and Young Justice. Would you ever want to learn animation and, and go in that direction? Well, I'm not sure yet. I'm leaning more towards fashion and I think that drawing is really helping me with that and Roy always tells me to practice drawing and stuff he always encourages me and I find that really helpful and inspiring that someone like a legend like Roy Thomas would tell me to keep on drawing and say I'm really good like that's amazing and so animation's really cool and I'm I mean I would I would think about it but I don't really know where my future what my future holds yet but I mean it would be really exciting if I went that way that's great though and I and I'm glad to hear that you know you want to tie your art into fashion and uh yeah maybe you know fashion design or something like that as you get more experienced and start thinking about you know do you do you try to create uh costumes or just you know basic women's fashion when you draw um usually I don't know sometimes I like sketch random things and I sketch them down in like my little notebook or something like that just for inspiration off of other things and I create my own out of it and sometimes mm-hmm. city girls also help with that. They also help with some inspiration for that. So I find that's a big deal. That's excellent. Now you told me off the air you're going into your uh, your ninth grade, your freshman year in, in high school, and uh, that's terrific. And I'm really glad to hear that you're going into a school that has not only art classes, but you were even saying advanced art classes, right? Yes, and I definitely want to try and get into that because maybe it will help me in college and stuff. Sure. Absolutely. That's great. And you have friends that uh, that draw as well? 100%. I have a bunch of group of friends. We all draw together sometimes. It's really fun. That's fantastic. You know, the comic book pros get together socially, and they'll sketch and stuff. And, you know, they'll, they'll go to a bar or they'll go to, a, you know, a coffee shop or something like that and hang out and all sketch together. Because sometimes, you know, drawing, you could, it's, it's kind of solitary. You, you know, you're by yourself sometimes just doing it. So I'm glad that you've got a bunch of friends that... Do you guys, you know, look at each other's stuff and compare and get inspiration from each other? Yeah. My dad used to take me to conventions when I was really little. So I'd get always to see, like, the art around and how people drew, and that also really helped me. That's great. That's great. Are you going to have a chance to go to any other uh, conventions this year before it's up? You were telling me off the air you're not going to be a terrific on. No, I'm not going to be a terrific on. I hope I can make it to some conventions. Um, I'll see what happens, but it's always really nice. It's like so nice there because like people are really friendly and it's like nice to see like how they're like, they love superheroes and stuff like that. Absolutely. Tell me about uh, getting the opportunity when Roy asked you to draw, like, well, how it happened in terms of you drawing for Roy and Alter Ego. Well, it all started when my dad introduced me to Roy and Roy is such a nice and sweet person. He's generous. I gave him a picture of my previous art that I had drawn, and he loved it so much that he gave me this opportunity. And I, I was like, so like scared that I was going to mess up, but I was also really excited because I'm like, I'm drawing for Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas asked me to draw for him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you did great because really, I think it's a, it's a terrific uh, sketch, and uh, I don't know. I hope. Uh, you know, maybe there's maybe there's a an, uh, a reason to to draw something else for Roy in the future. I mean, is is the door open if you want to do that, or if he thinks of something? How's how 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 does the future look for you? Possibly drawing something else for Alter Ego. 
Well, Roy said he would always recommend me for things, so I'm not really positive. I don't really know what's going to happen for the future, but I am really excited to see what would come up. <laughs> that's excellent. Hey, man, that's you are uh, very ahead of the curve from a lot of other people having a recommendation for Roy Thomas already on your resume. That's fantastic. Man, look at that, man. So you're, you're like 13 or 14, and you've already got a good recommendation on your resume. That's wonderful. Oh, and um, his wife, Dan, is the sweetest person you will ever meet. She is an amazing cook. She's so welcoming. And she also has said she would recommend me, so that's amazing. <laughs> wow, that's great. Man, two comic book pros. That's fantastic. Um, well, congratulations, honestly. I think, uh, I think that's a great achievement, and I think it can only... And it sounds like it's only inspired you to continue your art career. And uh, just good luck. Good luck in high school. And I, and I think, um, yeah, it sounds like you uh, are very excited about art and uh, you're heading in the right direction. So it, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I, and I thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much. This is amazing. There you go, Bryn Semino. Good luck on that art career, Bryn. I think you're off to a great start. And thank you, John, for arranging for the interview. But I uh, hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon. It was uh, a lot of fun. And as I said, man, uh, Terrificon is just around the corner. Very, very excited to be a part of it. Uh, there's going to be a lot of great people there. Are you fans of uh, uh, Comic Book Men, Kevin Smith's show? Well, um, everybody but Walt Flanagan is going to be there. Brian Johnson and Mike Zapsik and uh, Ming-, Ming Chen. Uh, looking forward to meeting those guys, if they'll, they'll give me the time. But uh, no, it's 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 great. Uh, They're going to be doing some panels as well. And uh, very excited about the uh, lineup of panels that I'll be doing at Terrificon. I'll tell you more about them uh, on the next episode of Word Balloon. Um, I have a feeling I'll have two more episodes before uh, the convention next weekend, August 17th through the 19th. Really excited about going to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut for Terrificon. And uh, hey, it's given me a wonderful excuse to uh, talk to some of these uh, incredible classic creators of some of our favorite comics, and also uh, current creators as well. Uh, looking forward to seeing my pals uh, Mike Norton and Tim Seeley and Nick Spencer and Charles Soule and C.B. Sabolsky. Man, I got you know I'll finally have C.B. on Word Balloon in a panel if all goes correctly. But also, uh, man, I, I got to sit down with C.B. and have that great editor in chief uh, chat. I love I love when. Uh, People that I love in comics and really respect get the opportunity uh, to uh, sit in the big chair. Jeff Loeb at Marvel uh, you know, Television and certainly now CB. Steve Wacker at Marvel Animation. So uh, it's going to be great to pick CB's brain in uh, what, the, what the macro uh, direction of Marvel will be in the months and, and uh, years ahead. So very, very excited to be talking to them. And Pete Tomasi from DC, another guy that I haven't had a chance to sit down with at Word Balloon. But uh, very excited to have him on that Superman panel with people like Roger Stern and Paul himself. It's going to be a great show. I can't wait to share the content with you. And truly, I hope if you're in the tri-state area, you'll come to Terrificon. Go to Terrificon.com for tickets. I'll tell you, Mitch Halleck is uh, putting together a hell of a show. And uh, its reputation uh, preceded it and was thrilled that Mitch asked me to be a part of it. And uh, thrilled to have him as a sponsor for Word Balloon, but also to get the opportunity to do the panels that I'll be doing that weekend at Terrificon. Uh, I hope I still have a voice, because I'm going to need it for traffic when I get back. But (laughs) regardless, can't wait to share with you some of the great content coming from Terrificon uh, in uh, Mohegan Sun the weekend of the 17th and the 19th. Hope you enjoyed today's show. 
on Word Balloon. It was brought to you again by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your continued support. It was also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. And man, have they got some cool new books for you to check out that came out this week. The Batman 66 Omnibus is available. So many great writers, including my, my, my dear friends Art and Franco, were part of this run. But Jeff Parker wrote the bulk of this stuff. This collects the first 30 issues of Batman 66. It also includes uh, the Lost Episode number one and a story from Solo number seven. And that sounds like, was that a Darwin Cook story? I'm not really sure, but holy cow, man. A beautiful cover from Martin Anson uh, that is just amazing. And I'm glad they finally figured out to get the rights to use the likenesses of all the characters. And really, if you never read Batman 66, you owe it to yourself. First of all, Parker and the other writers did such a great job of capturing the spirit of the show. But also, finally, the Adam West, Burt Ward interpretation of Batman gets the big budget that really only happened in the first season and also the the Batman 66 movie. Because as we know, as the second and third seasons happened, the budgets got cut. You got all those great, mostly black curtain uh, villain lair sets with a few kind of um, one-dimensional, you know, kind of uh, screens or fake walls to kind of, you know, help the scenery and everything. But, you know, we still loved it. Don't get me wrong. Second and third season are still a blast to watch. But uh, it, it really, this case... You're getting, you know, the Batboat more, the Batcopter, um, so many different locales and exciting scenarios in Batman 66 that uh, just didn't happen on the TV show. I can't recommend it enough. This is a great run. It's 50% off, $62.50 for this omnibus. You can also get another great epic collection from Marvel, uh, Marvel 2-in-1, presenting The Thing. And this is a great uh, group of stories. You get uh, Marvel Feature 11 through 12, Marvel 2-in-1, 1 through 19, and uh, Marvel Team-Up number 47. Uh, Lots of great writers, Steve Gerber, Bill Matlow, uh, great artists like Sal Buscema and Ron Wilson. This is a great book. Ron Wilson also going to be a terrific con. Looking forward to talking to Ron. Man, I talked to him last year. I I really want to get him on a solo word balloon because he's had a great career. Super boxers, for God's sake. Of course, I got to talk to Ron Wilson. But check out his stuff in this Marvel 2-in-1 epic collection. It's uh, 50% off, $19.99 at in-stock trades. You can also get the uh, Spider-Man Last Hunt Deluxe Edition, Craven's Last Hunt, J.M. Diamateus, Mike Zek, uh, I, I haven't had a chance. Mike Sex is also going to be a terrific con, by the way. DiMatteis will not, but uh, we've had that conversation about Craven's last hunt. Got to have that conversation with Mike now. Uh, you know, I, I had my first conversation with Mike on a Salt Lake City panel last year on Word Balloon. Got to get Mike back to uh, continue. But this is 400 pages long. It's the deluxe edition. It also includes things like What If Number 17, material from the Sensational Spider-Man Annual 96. Uh, also, the Amazing Spider-Man 99 run from 634 to 637. What the number three, also in there, as well as the epic story itself. It's 50% off. It's just $19.99. All waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Check it out. Great books, great prices from your friends at InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Always a pleasure to talk to you and bring you these great conversations. Next week, before Terrificon, you're going to hear about uh, things from Joelle Jones and her wonderful Catwoman run. You're going to hear from Steve Orlando talking about uh, his 
incredible books, both uh, currently on the stands, uh, like Wonder Woman. He's doing a great run on Wonder Woman right now in the midst of that, but also some really cool future things as well, uh, not only from DC, but also from uh, Aftershock and a couple other places as well. Really excited to welcome Steve back to Word Balloon. And uh, man, I just wrapped up a conversation as I'm recording this with Brian Edward Hill who's been doing a wonderful job at Detective as well and uh, is writing on the Titans television show. So that conversation is coming to you soon. Um, and then, of course, all this Terrificon content. I've been meaning to have another lunchtime conversation with Tim Seeley. We're going to do that uh, probably post-Terrificon, so that'll be coming in the days ahead. And uh, everybody else, uh, there's a big lineup, and I am thrilled to uh, share that with you and uh, pre- present as uh, great a lineup as I can each episode right here at wordballoon.com. Thanks for listening. If you want to ask me any questions about the show, you can email me, john at wordballoon.com. Follow me on Twitter, at John Wordballoon. And then, of course, I'm on Facebook under my name, John Suntress, and the Word Balloon Network. So those are the ways to reach me. Email is best. Sometimes people will send me a message on the Word Balloon Network Facebook page, and I'll find it like months later, and I'm embarrassed. Or they'll make a comment at wordballoon.com. And sometimes I suck and I don't remember to write that stuff up. So, uh, you know, the best the best place to reach me is really via my email. I check it every day, a couple times a day. John at WordBalloon.com. Thanks a lot for listening. Really excited about the lineup still to come here in August. And uh, thanks for being on the uh, journey with me. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2018.